Welcome to Autumn and the Green Edge podcast with Michael Cross and me, Fraser Harper. This is our update for the week ending 22nd of September 2023. In this week's Green Edge, we had intended to follow up on our repurposing post of the other week with a post on the repair economy. But the more we scratched away at the surface, the more we realised that so much is going on there right now, we need to do a wee bit more research before we commit our metaphorical pen to paper. So we'll get back to you on that one over the next week or two. Instead, this week we posted on a theme that we've been trying to get our heads around for some time now, which is, given that much of the green transition is heavily dependent on some critical trades to do things like retrofitting buildings, installing heat pumps and EV chargers, and link that nice new solar panel array you've just decorated your roof with into the grid, how do we get enough of them? Especially when we're told the UK workforce is growing at a much slower rate than it did during the first two decades of the century, the population is ageing, and a lot of young people would still prefer to go to university to read ancient Mediterranean studies rather than get stuck into a trade. Michael, this is an occupation versus skills argument, really, isn't it? Which isn't new. It's as long as we've actually had trades around. We've had protective mechanisms in from the guilds and the trade unions for many years. And certainly in my history of negotiating demarcation disputes and productivity deals, and particularly the 1980s, the raft that came through that time. And it's around where are the boundaries and who owns the skill because you can actually adopt an approach whereby an individual should be skilled enough to progress a particular task or a whole job, as long as they have the time, ability, and it is safe to do so. Now, that's a time-honoured approach to this, and where, in essence, you're blurring the boundary rather than creating what was in the old jargon, multi-skilled people or polyvalent people, and even getting to the point where you were reshaping the job around the technology, making people very specific and potentially tied to a sector and even an industry within that sector. So it has been around a long time. And can it be resolved? The answer is yes. Is having an open mind and having high trust. Now, in the post, we write about the fact that some jobs like plumbing in a heating system or building the proverbial brick outhouse can only be done by whole occupations like plumbers and brickies, with all the competences, standards and licences that come along with those. But then we ruminate on ways that critical skills might be subsetted into more restricted occupations or shared across what we might regard as adjacent occupations. And I guess the territory we're moving into here, Michael, are what some folks would refer to as green or perhaps green transition occupations. Yes, and therefore you could see the emergence of a retrofit occupation where the individual is skilled across a range of trades and tasks to actually undertake the bulk of the work across a whole building. If you look at the volume of retrofitting work we have to do in the UK, and we're talking of tens of millions of homes, you could actually justify creating an occupation around that. And we are seeing aspects of that with the whole nature of retrofit coordinator and retrofit assessor looking at whole jobs for a retrofit. But at the moment, we seem to be holding back on the occupation that physically does the task and does the job to do the installations. But you can see that emerging. And by default, small companies operate that way anyway. And we certainly don't see occupations like that within the standard occupation classification, do we? Not formally, no. 
Okay, well, I think it's important to say at this point that this is a much more complex subject than we could ever cover in a single Green Edge post. And we do acknowledge that in the post itself. And we're aware of some of the debate going on in this area by people much more knowledgeable than us when it comes to both the details of the trades concerned and the political landscape into which discussions of this type fit. And there are many other factors to take into account, Michael, not least the health and safety aspect. And that is the critical one for most people. If you're installing a system that is going to take energy and move it around the building and requires both hot water and electricity to be mixed, as it were, you need people who know what they're doing. And therefore, you need a system by which you can tag and trace those people, and therefore they can maintain their skill base. If you take the North Sea, and I had quite a lot of experience on North Sea on the rigs, was actually tracking skills. And therefore, every time people came back from shift, you walked through a series of tests to see they had maintained their skill base, even though they might have been off for 21 days or longer. And you can see that happening, I think, with some of this retrofit work around safety critical items where people will have to log the job they did. Like you do if you put a gas boiler in, you know who did that job and you can track it back for safety reasons. And I think we'll see the same happening in the retrofit world with heat pumps. And certainly if you take Twitter, I receive many photographs of beautifully installed heat pumps from very skilled craftsmen around the country, and they are proud of the work they're doing. Now, this is not exactly virgin territory for you, is it, Michael? You've written on this in the past, haven't you? Yes, I've written it in two ways. Uh, Back in the early 80s, I spent three or four years living in oil refineries and uh, chemical plants and the like. And I was charting the whole development of the boundaries of craft work. And I produced a book called Towards the Flexible Craftsman. I then built on that for the health and safety executive to look through and work through what are the safety boundaries for not only craftsmen blurring their edges, but also dealing with contractors and subcontractors who are coming onto site as well. So I have a little bit of history in this world, and that goes back 35, 40 years. And things have obviously moved on from there, but some of the tenets will still be valid. The principles still hold. Work remains work. It does indeed. And a reminder that you can find this week's post, which isn't on the repair economy, on greenedge.substack.com. And you can also find this podcast on all the major streaming platforms, including Apple, Google and Amazon. Now, Michael, we've seen a few policy wobbles this week, not just in Britain. We have. We've seen policy wobbles happening in Germany where a series of the smaller companies and medium-sized companies are seeking to define the boundary and definition of small, raising it from 250 to 500 employees and exclude them from certain requirements on reporting and monitoring due to next zero. We're seeing also the whole push in the UK, not forgetting our Prime Minister in his forthcoming speech, redefining the boundaries on EVs, on heat pumps, installations and the like. We have a very active debate around e-fuels between the airline industry and car manufacturers. The airline people are saying, push off, this is our e-fuel, we're going to use it, not you in your petrol cars. And we have the head of Ford UK in this country entering the debate quite rightly, saying we have planned to a hard date of 2030 and our investment and all our thinking is predicated on that. Don't change the date. So it is a very muddled world in which we get into, which sends confusing messages out as regards investment. And to us as simple consumers, do I change my car? 
And if I am changing my car, do I opt for another petrol car or a hybrid, or do I go the whole hog into electric? And that also sends a ripple into those companies that have set up to set up EV charging points at domestic houses and commercial places. Will I have a business or will it be a continued trickle, et cetera, et cetera? There are huge ramifications for wobbling on policy when you've got critical dates. Well, I have to say I drive a hybrid and I've long thought that hybrids have more life in them than government has been saying they do. So we shall see. I think you were saying earlier it also put Alex Sharma in a bit of a difficult position this week. Yes, you do feel sorry. He's over there at the United Nations at the General Assembly leading up to the next COP. He is there beating the drum for progress, progressive thinking and the hard work he put in in Glasgow to have his boss actually watering down net zero targets rather undermines his position. It does, doesn't it? But moving on, you've started to look at power networks and this whole microgrid thing. At the moment, we have a series of developments in our overall power and network structures for energy in the UK. And it's obviously going through a major reorientation in how that physically happens. And it is still being, by and large, centrally driven. And one could argue that the local producer, i.e. me at home, and also groups of houses and groups of businesses and community activities aren't featuring this in a big way. From reading work, both in Europe and in particular the United States, the power of micro-generation to take pressure off the grid and have micro-storage at multiple locations makes a massive impact because you then you have multiple points to flow energy back into the system. And therefore, you really have an intelligent supply and demand structure being set up. I don't hear enough of that debate going on. And I certainly hope when we see the workforce plans coming through for power networks and the collective plans for net zero from the Green Jobs Delivery Group, we actually see this local component getting its proper weighting and balance because a lot of people are investing time and energy in that and it needs to be recognised. I think I read somewhere Western Australia is getting big on that, aren't they? Not surprising given the nature of that part of the country. Cape Town are kind of doubling with that idea as well. It's growing. We just need some more sunshine here, don't we? It's the cheapest way to rapidly gain energy. Right all, back to the repair economy. We'll post on that next week or the week after. Let's see what happens in the meantime. Thank you for listening to this Green Edge podcast. This podcast series accompanies the Green Edge newsletter to which you can subscribe at greenedge.substack.com. The Green Edge is produced by Blue Mirror Insights. 